0: This podcast is a good one. Let's not muck around. We're breaking down insulin with sports dietitian Harriet Walker. Let's go.
1: Welcome to the Body Science Podcast, bringing you everything you need, want, and should know about health, fitness, nutrition, and training. As always, the information contained in this podcast is for the information purposes only and is not designed to diagnose or be restricted to treat, prevent, or manage any injury, disease, or other health related condition. <laughs>
0: Body Science organic apple cider vinegar capsules with the mother are keto and vegan friendly. Apple cider vinegar is rich in acetic acid and has been used as a natural health supplement for centuries. Did you know apple cider vinegar actually increases ketosis, which is great news for all you keto fans out there. ACV is reported to improve your energy levels and boosts keto clarity. For the rest of us not living keto, adding apple cider vinegar to your diet may benefit a healthy gut, healthy hair skin and Nails and weight management, helping you feel good inside and out. If you find apple cider vinegar a little difficult to swallow, Body Science Organic Apple Cider Vinegar comes in a convenient capsule form and can be added to any meal plan, meal prep, or smoothie. Welcome to the Body Science Podcast. Today with me, sports dietitian, clinical dietitian, accredited dietitian, and the way I'm throwing the, I'm throwing the word dietitian around because we're going to talk about a really interesting topic today: insulin. So we're going to do break. We're going to break insulin down now. Harriet is here because she is obviously qualified to talk about insulin, can talk about it from the fitness industry point of view, training point of view, clinical application. Mm-hmm. And let's get down to the basics and, and dispel some myths and talk about what actually is insulin, like Absolutely. bring it on or back it off. Where are we at?
1: Well, it's. I think we need to start from the top here and mm-hmm. we're looking at insulin as a hormone in the body. So we need to know a few things about hormones and their roles in the body before we get started. So it's important to know insulin is a peptide hormone. So it's made out of a Amino acids. We get a chain of amino acids. They link together. They form the protein, and that's basically what a hormone is. It, they can be. There's different types of hormones in the body. And what hormones do? They're like chemical messengers. So if there's something going on in the environment that the body is not sure is conducive to good health or life, we will get this cascade effect of chemical messengers being sent around the body to let all the different cells in the body know that we need to correct something. What we're looking at is again the concept that we've talked about in quite a few podcasts, which is homeostasis, which is the ideal level of everything in the body where everything is happy and healthy, and everything is functioning well. So when we get a deviation from homeostasis, we get these messengers around the body to say, "Hey guys, let's let's change something in order to bring us back to that baseline where we're really happy."
0: So let's not muck around, insulin. Where is that in pops? Where are we sitting when you say everything's perfect and aligned and the world's beautiful? Like so, y- you hear in- about <laughs> insulin everywhere you go. Yeah,
1: and I think it's important to stack a step back and look at what its role in the body is because at the end of the day, everything that our body produces is there for a reason. It's when it's in excess that it becomes an issue. Insulin is there. It's a hormone that was discovered in 1921 and it is there to clear out excess glucose from the blood. Now that's the key role that we know now that it does. And there may be a few other roles that it plays, but specifically at the moment, we are looking at insulin as a way of bringing blood glucose levels down. Mm -hmm. And why is that? important. Excess glucose in the blood is toxic. So we have a happy level of glucose in the blood that we require to keep our muscles going, to keep all the cells in our body going to provide energy. We store glucose uh, in the liver. We store glucose in the muscles. And we have a small amount in the the blood at any one stage to allow our body to work optimally. So when we have a meal, our blood glucose levels go up. And to to a point that's not going to kill us. Obviously, otherwise we'd probably die after each meal. But insulin's role is to sense that change in the environment. We get the food is broken down into glucose as the smallest common denominator. And basically, the there's a cascade of signals in the body that says, okay, we've got glucose in excess to our preference and we need to bring this down. So that's when insulin is sent out to signal to the cells that we can bring this glucose into the cell. To so bring, why don't we
0: just not eat carbs?
1: Uh, because we need carbohydrates mm-hmm. in the body. And it's not just about carbs. So we no. do actually also get an insulin response from protein and from fat. Yep. It is not as pronounced, mm-hmm. So which is why we look at in, uh, glucose as the, the key driver of insulin response. Mm-hmm. But it's basically a normal part of healthy body working. We don't need to get rid of insulin. It, it plays an important role in our bodies. Insulin becomes a an issue, is like with everything, when it's in too large an amount. And it's not necessarily insulin in a large amount that's the issue. It's the blood sugar levels at that heightened range that is... Is the issue, mm-hmm. and this brings us back down to what's actually getting our blood glucose level that high in the first place. So that's really the key here. It's insulin's not necessarily the bad guy; it's doing its job. But if we're not eating in a way that's conducive to healthy blood sugar levels, that's when we see that issue and that outside of normal ranges on a regular basis. So
0: <laughs> let's not muck around. I just had a block of chocolate. What happened?
1: You have, and con- we're talking
0: a block, not a little tiny chocolate.
1: So basically, what happens is we consume food. We get a release of glucose into the blood. So that food is going into our stomach. It's been broken down by enzymes in the gut. Those little tiny molecules, glucose molecules are being transported into the bloodstream. It goes to the liver. So the liver is the first point of call for glucose. If you've just done a little bit of exercise or for whatever reason you haven't eaten in a while, the first thing that that glucose is going to do in the liver is going to replenish liver glycogen levels. What if I
0: have an exercise and I've eaten a block of
1: chocolate? Probably won't get any Um, uptake of glucose from your liver Mm -hmm. but then it might go to other tissues in the body so all of our when you
0: say might what do you mean by might
1: probably will go to other tissues so there's a few different stages when it comes to getting rid of glucose in the body first one is to replenish glycogen second one is obviously initial energy then glycogen and if it doesn't get used as energy we can store it as triglycerides in fat cells so we have a pretty much infinite ability to store excess energy as fat, and so that is the end sort of status of excess glucose from the diet. We see an increase in fat cells around the body. So all of so that's our, why
0: you eat chocolate, you get fat. Largely, yes, yeah. yes. That's, gotcha.
1: That's in a calorie deficit, in a calorie excess. Dumb down method. There no, no, too, that's okay. So on. everything in excess, if it's excess coconut oil, or if it's excess, anything like that is going to cause a calorie surplus and that's going to get stored.
0: A little bit off track here. And I know you like it when I do this. Oh, I love I mean. it. I've got a mate who eats a block of chocolate at night. Why not? He's eating a block of chocolate at eight o'clock at night. When is this issue really happening? Because he's not, he's not, uh, he's on the couch, he's watching TV. I've eaten the block of chocolate. How much later in my body process is this happening?
1: It takes around four to six hours for our blood glucose to be cleared back to normal levels in a healthy person. So we are a Assuming that if this person had eaten within a calorie budget and that chocolate hadn't tipped him over, then that would be good. Well, I'd say most within... people eating
0: chocolate at night aren't in a calorie budget.
1: No, 100% not. No. So Sorry. this is when we get... I'm trying
0: to look at the, the danger of this. Like I, I want to put a few little case scenarios together and then you can talk more about what you want to talk about. But these are the things we get asked. How long after eating chocolate is the problem happening?
1: Absolutely. So, so if
0: I eat a block of chocolate and I hit the gym 30 minutes later, or if I eat a block of chocolate and I hit the couch 30 minutes later...
1: We've got two different scenarios. Absolutely. And it depends if that is a one-off occurrence, Mm -hmm. that is probably not, it's obviously not ideal to eat a block of chocolate on the couch, but look, it happens. So this
0: is happening at night, you're asleep, your body's in repair, whatever it does when it's asleep, but you've got this massive sugar rush happening.
1: Yeah. So what your body is doing is using insulin. Insulin is released from the pancreas. So the mm-hmm. pancreas is the organ that produces insulin from uh, what we call little cells, the islets of Langerhans. So that's... The what, sorry? Islets of Langerhans. Sounds
0: like a song. Yeah.
1: So Langerhans was a, the bloke who discovered pancreatic beta cells. Okay. The beta cells get told that there's too much glucose in the blood. Insulin, and what does it do
0: about it when it tells it that?
1: Insulin gets drawn to the, the surface of the cell yep. and it gets released into the bloodstream from the blood stream, insulin goes to the surface of cells in our body. So all of our cells have capacity to absorb glucose. So this insulin sticks to the cell yep. and then we get an uptake of GLUT4 transporters. So GLUT4 transporters are little proteins that stick like little straws through the cell mm-hmm. and they can suck in excess glucose from the blood. So what's happening with your mate who's sitting on the couch after eating a block of chocolate? If he's just done this once, body's going to be working pretty hard. Obviously, we, don't, it, we yep. don't need the energy. So there's going to be a surplus there like... But if he's doing this every night for a number of nights or probably months or years, we get a progression of insulin resistance potentially.
0: Okay. So what's insulin resistance?
1: Insulin resistance refers to the sort of state where we've got poor blood glucose control. So we're probably getting our glucose too high, too often, and we're getting an influx of insulin into the bloodstream at a rate that is, so why um, is that a bad thing? Well, if we're constantly throwing out insulin into the blood, our cells can actually become resistant to it. So they won't actually answer the call to bring glucose back into the cell to bring our glucose levels back to normal. So what's happening then? So what we're having is an excess of glucose in the blood, which we know is toxic. Mm-hmm. And we see that we need external sources of insulin potentially to bring our glucose back down. And that's what we're talking about in terms of the progression from insulin resistance, to type 2 diabetes.
0: Which is a massive worldwide problem.
1: Massive issue. So we've got two different kinds of diabetes. We've got type 1 diabetes where the pancreas, which is the organ that secretes insulin, it doesn't produce any insulin at all. So what we have is an issue of not enough insulin. And then we've got type 2 diabetes, which is more of an issue of too much insulin too regularly. Our cells become unresponsive to the call and no longer sucks in insulin into the cell. And then we have this buildup of glucose into the blood. We see that after... After a meal, instead of after four to six hours going back to normal, we see elevated levels of glucose for a long period of time. That causes inflammation in the body and that also increases potentially the, you know, we've got dyslipidemia, which is a term that we use for excess fat in the blood because when we get excess calories being taken in and turned into triglycerides, which is a fat storage unit that is in the blood. So when we have a sort of a disease state with type 2 diabetes, what we're seeing is poorly controlled blood glucose levels. We're seeing increased triglycerides in the blood. We're seeing the body's inability to actually respond to the call of insulin. So insulin is not necessarily the cause of the issue. Mm-hmm. It is a byproduct of poorly controlled blood glucose levels as a result of overconsumption.
0: Why are both those called diabetes?
1: They're both to do with insulin. So you know. And
0: does diabetes definition around the word insulin? Insulin. Is it? Yeah.
1: Okay. So we've got the body's inability to regulate blood glucose levels. One is because we don't produce any insulin and we see type 1 diabetics having to inject to match their food. And then in the other case, we see insulin's not doing its job. So the cells of the body are no longer responding to the call of insulin. They're both diabetes, but they're ones more lifestyle related. And type 1 diabetes is an autoimmune disease, which is potentially from birth or we can see it coming on early 20s. Early 20s? Why is that? I'm not actually quite sure about the progression of it, but we do see either sort of early stage diabetes and that sort of juvenile diabetes and then when we see as we go through I, th- I think it might be something to do with puberty going through different you know growth spurts and whatnot later in late 20s generally see so a lot of people being diagnosed with type 1 diabetes in their early yeah early 20s. Is it genetic? The autoimmune tends to have a genetic component to it mm-hmm. and then type 2 diabetes actually has a risk factor that is genetically linked as well and that sort of tends to do with the lifestyle factors associated with type 2 diabetes so being overweight is a risk factor for diabetes and vice versa if we're overweight we're more likely to be progressing into diabetes from poor blood glucose control
0: so what are dietitians worldwide doing about diabetes
1: well I think one of the two, type two sorry I'm
0: talking about yeah, yeah type
1: 2 diabetes the two key things that we can do with diabetes is lifestyle related changes so we're looking at increasing exercise we have increasing lean muscle mass and we know that muscle independent of insulin assists in pulling glucose into the cell so sort of a more of a mechanical part pathway that it does that?
0: Dumb question, because I'm full of them. If I've got a very lean, muscular physique and I'm eating a lot of chocolate because I'm energy starved, yep. am I running the gauntlet as well?
1: Potentially, excess sugar can cause issues with metabolism generally. Like when we don't encourage even healthy people, it's about healthy habits long term. So if I'm in the habit at 25 of consuming a diet that, you know, because I can get away with it, I'm having lots of sugar in my diet. I'm not really setting myself up to habits that are conducive for later in life when I probably can't get away with it as much because my energy needs have dropped. I've got this habit of eating a block of chocolate a night, but all of a sudden I've had this step down in my metabolic rate due to age and I'm not as responsive or I might've stopped exercising as much as I did when I was 25. As a result of that, my body is not as good at utilizing that that excess glucose from big bolus of carbohydrate. So what we can look at from a dietary perspective and especially with carbohydrates, is uh, focusing on lower glycemic index carbohydrates.
0: So we're still talking GI, are we, these days?
1: We're still talking GI, but okay. there is the information and context around it that we need to keep in mind. Yep. So glycemic index is the term used to describe the glucose response that a, a food has upon ingestion. So yep. if I consume a piece of bread, what impact, that? how much does it raise my blood glucose levels? What we're looking at with glycemic index is the impact that it has on blood glucose levels and how quickly and how readily that our blood can bring that down because that takes into account the insulin factor as well. So I want to consume foods that have a slow peak and a slow, steady, like if you think about a mountain, you don't want a sharp peak. You want a slow, steady rise in blood glucose levels and your body only has to secrete a small amount of insulin to bring those blood glucose levels back down to normal. Whereas if I'm constantly peaking my blood glucose levels up and down, the beta cells get a little bit tired out. Sometimes they might not be able to secrete as much insulin as needed to pull the glucose out. And then in other sort of scenarios, the insulin isn't actually working, doing its thing in terms of letting the glucose back into the cell.
0: If you're suffering that insulin resistance, and tell me if I'm using the correct terminology, is there something you can do as a lifestyle change to accelerate the program of healing?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, one is looking at the types of carbohydrates you're having. Two is probably going to be reducing your carbohydrate intake for a period of time. So we can see people resensitizing their body to insulin. So, you know, there are circumstances where people have actually reversed their type 2 diabetes through diet and exercise and come off whatever medication it is that they're taking. But it takes a lot of work and lifestyle change to be able to do that. So we want to make sure that people are reducing their total calorie intake and Mm -hmm. losing weight. And we also want to make sure that they're being a little bit more specific with the types of carbohydrate that they are taking in. And this is a case where, you know, a lower carbohydrate diet is probably appropriate for somebody who wants to take a lifestyle approach and reduce their blood glucose levels in order to increase their control and they might do that for a period of time and be testing along the way making sure and we can actually test for these things and it's quite well established the the patterns of testing that we can do for blood glucose so there's a glucose tolerance test that we use to diagnose diabetes and then after that we're looking at long-term control of diabetes and the people who utilize diet and exercise really well they're actually in some cases coming off their medication and we see that in fact that the type 2 diabetes is under control and they may not have it anymore so there's a spectrum of what we need to do insulin resistance that's when we probably want to get people before it actually progresses into full-blown type 2 diabetes
0: should people go to the doctor and ask for those
1: tests absolutely like yeah. i think if we were having this conversation earlier how do you know if there's an issue for the fact that you know we see a sort of a, a phenotype or a specific body type associated and that's definitely if you've got the excess of weight around your middle if you know that your diet isn't necessarily fantastic and i'm talking we're eating that block of chocolate every night we're having that you know carton of ice cream you know each mm. night and these are an inactivity as well so if you're in a sedentary job you don't do any kind of exercise they're all sort of risk factors that we um, would associate with higher risk of type 2 diabetes you know we can be testing this so we're testing glucose tolerance but we're also testing blood lipids as well because like we said before, when we uh, have poor blood glucose control, we see an increase of those excess calories being converted into triglycerides, which are the storage form. You know, these are all normal things in within a normal range, but once we get outside that range, it, it becomes more of a diseased state. So I think it's important to step back and look at everything within the body, hormones and otherwise. They're there for a reason. We don't necessarily, like insulin isn't the bad guy. And in, in many cases, you know, insulin in and of itself can be anti Anti-inflammatory because it is reducing the state of hypoglycemia, which is a pro-inflammatory state. You know, if we're looking at it in black and white terms, it's it's anti-inflammatory. Mm-hmm. But when we have excess of anything, that's when we tend to move into those less optimal states in the body that cause all that start the disease progression.
0: So is insulin resistance and insulin sensitivity and all the insulin words you've been throwing around the last five minutes, do other factors outside of diet affect that?
1: Absolutely. Caffeine? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So I suppose stress would be one that... That would come up quite regularly for people because when we look at insulin, we have to look at the opposing hormone, which is glucagon. So insulin is secreted in order to reduce blood glucose levels. Glucagon does the opposite. So it's the opposing hormone and it is used to increase blood glucose levels. And so we have to look at, at what stage in the game are we wanting to increase blood glucose levels? And that would be in a state of fight or flight. So we're in a stressed state. We actually increase and we release that stool blood glucose through glycolysis, and we are increasing uh, circulating glucose in the blood in order to be able to respond to the threat. So that might be to run away, it might be to fight, or as we have discussed earlier, we're sitting in our own pool of glucose, and that's pro-inflammatory. So it's not just in a state of, you know, food that is happening. Obviously, that's probably the more common one. But we're also, if we're doing Mm. the double whammy of poor diet, excess calories and a high stress situation, then we have a really good recipe for that sort of metabolic disease. So when we're looking at hormones, there's generally speaking always an opposing hormone. So when we're looking at insulin, we have the opposing hormone, which is glucagon. There's That's not
0: a cool name, glucagon. I don't like it. Glucagon. I don't, I don't think I want to use that name anymore.
1: Glucose gone. Ah, okay. Ah, glucagon. No. Yeah. Is that how you remember it at uni? No, it's not because it's actually the <laughs> awful. Insulin's probably more glucose gone. Yeah. Glucagon is increasing blood glucose yeah. levels. And we associate glucagon with the other hormones like epinephrine or adrenaline and cortisol. So when we are stressed, we see adrenaline and cortisol go up. We also see glucagon going up and they're the sort of catabolic hormones whereas insulin is probably more associated as being an anabolic hormone where we see build up and storage.
0: So what's more dangerous excess food insulin or excess stress insulin? Well
1: I think they're six of one half a dozen of the other. I think anything in excess chronically in the body is going to be an issue. Because I mean we can
0: eat six, eight times a day which could be excessive or it could be good eating but we can be stressed a hundred times a day.
1: Yeah definitely. I suppose when it comes to insulin being secreted in response to food, we might also see an excess of calories. Then we see an excess of calories being converted into fat. Then we see fat being stored in the body. We see increased triglycerides. No, 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 no. If Is that why
0: when I'm having a bad day and I'm stressed, I'm, I want to go and um, happy eat?
1: Potentially, yes. For that 10 minutes of Absolutely. feeling unreal? So we eat not just for physiological reasons. We also eat for hedonic reasons. We see that increase.
0: What reason? Hedonic. Nice word. Yes. But we like- don't I'm not joking, sorry.
1: We don't just eat because we feel the need as a result of hunger cues. We eat because we get a reward out of food and Mm. that's okay. Like that's just standard human behaviour. But when we're doing it all the time, we see probably the sort of the hedonic response, which is an increase in dopamine. We get that sort of happy feeling after eating lots of calories. What do
0: call it? Dopamine lollipops?
1: Dopamine lollipops. Yeah, what we need to do is get a handle of that stress. If we're stressed and we're not actually eating excess calories, we're probably going to lose weight Mm -hmm. because we've got that cortisol, we've got that adrenaline, we're actually burning through energy. And you'll see people who are quite stressed, sometimes they can be quite thin because their body is, you know, constantly in that state of stress. They're burning through the calories at a, a higher rate. And if they're not consuming in excess, they're not going to necessarily see the issue with excess insulin in response to excess calories. So it is really what is the issue here is the excess calories. And we can go about a number of different ways to bring down, you know, the calorie intake, reduce the fat content of the body and bring those insulin levels back into normal range.
0: So I've got a big one for you here. Say I'm running a diet if it meets my macros. Yep. Person A might be having six calorie controlled meals a day. Person B might be having two to three meals, but absolutely smashing those meals. What is the difference in same calories? Mm-hmm. And let's just say they're not weight loss calories, they're just calories. And yep. Obviously you wouldn't be on it for a fit macro. Where are we at with a person that's eating six times a day, like say 300 calories in a meal eighteen hundred calories mm-hmm. versus someone who's having two nine hundreds.
1: Yeah, two big
0: yeah. chunks of food. Yeah, and they'd be loving life too. Those two nine hundreds.
1: Yeah, it's oh, yeah. a cracking meal. That's a great meal. Look, if the person is healthy, there doesn't have to be a big issue with having. So it's six not the time
0: small... of it being in your in your body. It, the it's, amount of it in your body.
1: It's probably the yeah. It's the amount probably the blood glucose levels. If we've got large spikes, if we're eating a whole lot of you know sugar in within those small meals we might see an increase in insulin levels to a point where it becomes an issue Mm -hmm. but if the person is healthy and they've got you know good blood glucose control then there's no issues with eating six meals a day but you know if we've got somebody who's in that sort of stage early stages of type 2 diabetes or that sort of metabolic syndrome then potentially giving them a break and letting their insulin levels come down their blood glucose levels come down that could be beneficial in order to just pull back on that disease progression a little bit so we're really looking at healthy state versus disease state mm. here and the bo- the person's uh, ability to deal with glucose. So if you've got a very active person, they could be smashing food all day long. Yep. And look, we don't really necessarily know all the ins and outs of insulin resistance right now. I mean, insulin was discovered in 1920, so yeah, it's not, not that far ago. all like I mean, it does sound like a long time, you know, a hundred really. years ago. But in terms of science and you know, being able to actually test this stuff, we're still finding out different ways in which this this hormone is actually working in the body. So it's it's still you know, there's still some mechanisms that still haven't been fully identified.
0: Let's wrap this uh, breaking down insulin because we're going to actually get you back to do a more in-depth one next week because I think this is uh, more than just one big long podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Let's break it down. It's get a little bit te- more technical. I'll shut up more on the next one. Let's go a really quick breakdown on insulin brings glucose into the cell by
1: pancreas senses that there's an increase in glucose in the blood. Yep. This is this signals the release, so insulin release from the pancreatic beta cells. Beta cells release the insulin. Insulin goes to the cell, any sort of cell, so it might be the muscle cell. It stimulates the GLUT4 transporter onto the cell surface and that GLUT4, if you think of a little straw that goes in between a cell, gets sucked in and glucose is brought into the cell. So that's sort of the very basic thing. It'd be great to have clear a- Clear pee- as mud. Clear as mud. Clear as mud.
0: Look forward to your next masterclass.
1: We'll see you then.
0: This week's podcast was brought to you by our premium partners, Nutrition Warehouse Nationally, ASN Nationally, Mr. Supplement, Sporty's Warehouse, Fat Burners Only, and Evelyn Fay.